to IASA's additional coverage podcast number four. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage is Carl Terzer. Hello, everyone. Carl is the founder of Capvisor Associates and a senior consultant in the capacity of Rent-A-CIO or Investment Advisor. He's also a frequent contributor to IASA conferences. You've probably seen him there. Today's topic is called Negative Returns in Bonds and Stocks. What's next? But before we get started, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. So if your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. You can find out more at IASA.org. Carl, I think this is a very timely topic. We saw and a surprisingly poor performance for insurance company investors in the first quarter of 2022. You've had some time to ruminate on it. What happened? Well, that's right, Tim. I think a lot of people who are receiving or, or have already received their, their first quarter statements saw some very unpleasant red print. So, for example, the, the S&P was down about 10, almost 11% year to date through March 25th. And the uh, bonds which usually are the ballast to their insurance portfolios, also had a negative return of about 9.5% as of April 25th. So bad news on asset classes that are normally have a very low correlation to one another and sometimes are inversely correlated. And just to give you some context, you know that's a rude awakening to 2022 since last year, the S&P returns were in the mid-20s, about 26%. And bond returns last year were good until late in the year when they turned negative. And they did finish slightly negative for the year, but only at one point, negative 1.16%. Big difference between that and nine plus percent negative. Big difference. Was there a particular catalyst for that? Well, yes. What happened was in the uh, equity markets, of course, we had a coming off the COVID recovery, which began very quickly after the 2020 epidemic hit and the market correction in March, we had a very strong resumption of the longest bull run in history. Markets were trading rich and worrying some people, especially since it was led by a few very large growth stocks, the FANG stocks, and other tech companies really pushing the markets higher. And, uh, you know, at that time, right after the COVID epidemic hit, the stock snapped back quickly to the fastest and deepest drop in history of the stock market. And that was really due to the arrival of turbocharged and unprecedented aggressiveness in both fiscal and monetary policies, which were obviously designed to shallow out any potential COVID recession. There was even talk of depression at that time. And so that influx of liquidity through those fiscal and monetary policies really flushed the market with money, allowing the markets to snap back. Bondland last year was a little bit different. It did not continue its 2020 trajectory like the equity markets did. Uh, it initially enjoyed some, some good uh, returns coming off of what it returned in 2020, which was about 7.5%. But the falling rate environment that was created due to the expectation that inflation was not transitory as originally advertised, and it was actually had deeper causation rather than just 
supply chain uh, interruptions and other things that we're initially blaming for inflation as starting to spike during the year. It, it really was due to the fiscal and monetary policies, which really put too much liquidity into the markets. Those dollars had to find a place to go. They found their way into the market, which obviously created terrific returns. But the end of the party was for the bonds at the end of the year when everybody realized interest rates were going to increase. And that meant bonds were going to face some very, very stiff headwinds in the latter part of last year going into this year. Well, uh, looking ahead, Carl, and I know we have no crystal ball here with us, but let's do some what-if scenarios, if you don't mind. How do you think market and economic conditions are going to be looking for insurance company investors over the next several months? Let's take, uh, for example, what happens if we start falling into a recession? Well, that likelihood is unfortunately increasing. And I think what that means for investors is that corporate earnings are going to be punished by that. And equity markets are going to flounder and continue to be extremely volatile, as we've seen them over the last quarter or two. We're also probably going to see that the transition from growth stocks to value stocks will continue to have some legs, notwithstanding the fact that growth stocks has been the better area to be in, the better style to selected over most of the last 14 years. Okay. But if the worst doesn't happen, let's say we uh, continue on a path to recovery, what, what do you think there? Or is that even a likelihood? Uh, well, I think there's a likelihood that we can get through this without a major recession. However, the Fed has not does not have a great track record on doing what they're trying to do, which is uh, turn to soft landing, meaning raising rates at a pace which does not take too much steam and stall the economy, forcing it into recession, but on the other hand, is powerful enough a force to reduce inflation to more reasonable rates. And I think everybody knows in March, we saw rates spike at 8.5%, which is a 40-year high. And they're going to need to do some heavy lifting, unfortunately, in terms of interest rates to get that back under control. But not only are inflation rates a wild card here, we have a war in Ukraine. And I think we actually now have probably the highest threat level since the Cuban Missile Crisis of possible nukes being used, which has been threatened. So how that plays out will be impactful in, in the global economy and, of course, affect the U.S. economy as well. We still have some continued supply chain kinks. And some of that is caused because of disruptions globally. Ukraine is, is known to, uh, for example, produce a lot of fertilizers. It's affecting farming and, and farm productivity around the world. And we have right here in the United States a labor shortage, which is also affecting supply chains. And so uh, if that gets worse rather than better, that's going to have an effect on the look forward. And then finally, politics plays a role. There are some very big programs that the Biden administration started to try to push through. Those initiatives have been stalled at this point. And we're continuing to see perhaps more and more political polarization, which means uh, less cooperation to get things done if the economy does go off the rails. Fiscal policy may be hampered by that. Yeah, almost much to the delight of some of them. <laughs> Sorry to say that. Uh, true. But you're right. I mean, the polarization is pretty bad. So it's really kind of uh, organic instability from multiple sources. It is. So there's not any one set of steps like, say, for example, the Fed could take to make things better until we're able to uh, see the outcome of the Ukraine situation and so forth. 
Yeah, well, the Fed can control certain things, but their levers are limited. And, and it's really uh, their, their mandate is really to control inflation, which is really the, the largest crux of the issue right now. Raising interest rates has a contraction effect on productivity and, and the markets, uh, the GDP of the country. And so getting that balance right of slowing us down enough to cool off inflation, but not slowing us down too much to throw in us in recession is, again, a very, very tricky thing to do. And it has a lag time associated with it. So it's very difficult for the Fed to, to know whether they've moved too quick in raising interest rates too fast too many times. And once they've overdone it, it's already too late because you're suffering the ramifications. Or if they've underdone it, and inflation continues to roar, that means deeply negative real returns, particularly for bondholders. I mean, if bonds have a you know a 2% return, and then you've got a minus 8% inflation rate, you're at minus 6%. How does an insurance company take a premium dollar today, pass it into the future, two, three years, four or five years, whatever their uh, liability duration is, and still have a dollar to pay the claim? They won't. They'll have 80 some odd cents. That means a hit to surplus. So it's a real problem for insurance company investors who are largely compelled to be primarily in the uh, investment grade bond space. Right. It's going to be more and more difficult to chase that yield. So that brings up the question then that short of giving investment advice, which we cannot do in this program, are there any strategies that insurance investors should be at least considering? Sure. I think I think what they should, and again, Giving advice is really a case-by-case basis because uh, investment advice for insurance companies should always be based on the liability structure of the company, their claims experience, their amount of surplus. I mean, there's so many variables that really go into correlating the investment program properly with the underwriting structure of an insurance company. So there's never a blanket advice. But what I can say is that the solution really lies into looking outside of the core allocations that most insurers have. And the core allocations is usually something like about 80% investment grade bonds and maybe 20% stocks or something to that effect. And you know, I think they need to look outside the box a little bit because there are a lot of asset classes that have low correlations to those two core asset classes, which when the market is very volatile and choppy results are being produced, it tends to smooth out that uh, return stream and provide a better risk-adjusted return when you've got several asset classes that are providing diversification benefits or not highly correlated to one another. So for bonds, that might be things like high yield. And in particular, we like short-duration high yield because longer-duration high yield has more risk, and insurance companies are generally risk-adverse. So if you're going to tiptoe into the high-yield space, you want to do it with a short-duration product in my, in a high quality, short duration product, in my opinion. And also, you know, you can look at things like convertibles, non-US debt might be a place to look, particularly infrastructure debt. On the equity side, there's some things for diversification purposes that pop into mind, such as maybe thinking about a small allocation US small cap, a little more volatility or risk. However, a better opportunity for uh, higher returns And as we come out of any kind of a recessionary period, I think that uh, small cap stocks will take off as opposed to the larger, uh, more mature companies. And other other than that, maybe 
Again, if there's no recession, I would say emerging market exposure might be a consideration. Very similar rationale for small cap. But what really interests me is that uh, insurance companies are coming to us saying, what else can we do besides those? A lot of our clients are already accessing many of those categories I just mentioned. And I think alternatives are uh, an area of, uh, of interest. And these aren't uh, like the alternatives that most people think of. These are alternatives that are specifically designed with characteristics that are favorable for insurance companies and investors. And I'll just name a few of them. Some of them now have A or triple B ratings. So you've got capital efficiency, and it alleviates a lot of the risk-based capital concerns that insurance investors have had with alternatives in the past. They've lowered minimums. You don't need 20 million bucks to get into these things. You can get in now with a thousand bucks, and in some cases, in evergreen funds with 250,000, making accessible to even smaller companies than there were ever before. Another uh, thing is liquidity. Ten-year lockups were a thing of the are a thing in the past. Now we're seeing lockups of three years, five years, seven years. You can find a variety within that range at this point. And finally, they are generally built and designed to have low correlations to the core asset classes that I mentioned earlier. That high yield convertibles, emerging market, small cap have. So another thing to look at which may have been overlooked in the past by insurance companies for good reason. Okay. So as a, as kind of a final thought, what, and, and again, polish up that crystal ball. What do you think is the most likely scenario to happen? From the economic perspective? Yes. I think that a recession is fairly likely. I don't want to say greater than 50%, but again, the Fed's record on this is not too great. They generally over-tighten. If you remember back to the 40 years when we had the inflation problem, Paul Volcker really stabbed inflation in the heart, but it was, it was extremely drastic and extremely painful. And it might, it might take that again. And that probably will either push us into a recession or minimally really alter the results available in the marketplace for both stocks and bonds. Okay. Well, that's a, a little unsettling to be sure, but you know it is what it is and we keep going forward. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wealth of knowledge with us, Carl. My pleasure, Tim. That's all the time that we have for today's podcast, but you might want to follow up with Carl. Carl, how can they uh, get a hold of you if they want to? Well, I can be reached at carl, C-A-R-L dot Terzer, T-E-R-Z-E-R at Capvisor Associates, C-A-P-V-I-S-O-R, and then the word associates.com. And if you have comments about the show or show suggestions, which I always welcome, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Until next time, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Carl Terzer. Thank you. Tune in next time when I will sit down with Jason Nichols, who is the newly installed board chair at IASA, to talk about the value of volunteering. If you enjoyed this episode, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss the new episodes when they come out. Hey, be sure you let your friends and colleagues know about the show, too. And one more thing, please rate and review the show so other people have an easier time finding us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.